What the? Tell me about your fucking week so far. Yeah, yeah. Tell me about your coffee. That mug is awesome, by the way. This is my favorite yes. mug, but I have three of them, and then I have like three other backup mugs, and that's it. I'll tell you what my favorite mug is. Mm-hmm. Mm. You're so lucky. I nope, didn't almost bit her coffee. Out. coffee almost out. got her. I almost got her. Almost got her. Fuck. It wasn't really the action that made me laugh, and I almost spit my coffee out. It was the dad, like level of dad joke that was in- inherent in that, and then that look Listen, on your face. I mean, I've got something. I've got something to tell our fans out there, and I haven't told anybody this. We are not expecting. So I'm just getting prepped. I'm getting ready. I'm getting ready for those dad jokes. I'm fucking going for it. The absurdity is in an all-time high. Welcome to Take Me to Coffee. This is a mentorship podcast for the digital age, for the doers, the rule breakers, people who are building it from the ground up. From movie stars to blog writers to sex-affirming therapists, in this day and age, we have something to learn from everyone. So this is your weekly chance to get personal with people who've been down the road before you. And soak up a whole lot of inspiration from every corner of the internet. I don't like your mustache today. It's pretty, like, dirty. Mm, it's in that weird... This, this, this entire like, unemployment beard that I've got yeah, going on? Yeah, well, the beard's fine, but the mustache, something about the the um, the growth area it's in, which is, like, not a full mustache... But it's like, don't do that. Oh, God. Here we are. Okay, so my coffee. My coffee. Yeah, I want to tell you about tell my me. coffee. Really, actually. So I'm really excited because I was home in Kansas City for the holidays. And I got to stay a couple of weeks. And uh, when I'm home, my parents are super dead. So I don't have to stay with family. Um, I stay with my friends, Victoria and John. And they live in this amazing, you would appreciate this so much, this house that John's grandfather built with his two hands in the 50s up in Platwoods. Fuck yes. Yeah, it's like right by the Fuck airport. Yes. It's in its really rural, beautiful area. And mm-hmm. um, it's an amazing house. And up by where they live, there's they're right by Parkville, which is like another smaller side sized, you know, outcropping town, part of Kansas City. And there's this Sub- suburb. It's a uh, yeah, I guess it's a suburb. Yes, I think that's right. Yep. Uh, anyway, there's my favorite coffee shop. Uh, I think my favorite coffee in the entire United States is their Parkville coffee. And John Burke. That is a, a big statement. A statement. And I've had a lot of coffee. That's a big statement. I know. But and you've been all over the fucking world. All over the, That's yeah. a huge statement. Well, I'm I'm not saying the world's best Shout coffee. Shout out Parkville Coffee. Okay, okay. United States. The United States. Yeah. Contiguous United States. Yes. That's a fucking still a huge statement. Yeah. Because coffee's a big deal. I know. Coffee's a huge business. It's a big deal. And there's a lot of coffee out and there. And John Burke uh, bought me a bag of my favorite, the Ethiopian bean that they do, uh, to send me on my way back to New York. And I've just started to dig into it. And it makes me so happy. I've actually recently just started, and I think I've said this on another episode, but me and my wife, she was the one that was like, listen, after the sustainability episode yep. with Megan Optimat, we uh, we went out immediately that day and bought blue bottle pour over, like fancy, fancy pour over business. That's awesome. And guess what? what? My wife was like, no, 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 we want to do this. I've been wanting to do pour over coffee for a long time, blah, blah, blah. Now it's been two weeks and... I'm the only person who does the pour over coffee. Oh no. We went out and bought like a little little bean grinder. She's like, it's just I don't like I don't like that. I don't like doing I don't like it. And I go, Well what what is it? She couldn't really explain what it was. It just wasn't strong enough for her. Yeah. And that's true. When you start doing hand grinding and pour over, like there's a whole different like element of flavor to a coffee. And I'm this like do not have the fancy words for it, but it does it completely right. tastes different than doing it in your machine or in a curate. What is the sommelier of coffee? Ooh, coffee A. Can we find that out? What is that? Anybody listening and know that? Anybody out there? Yo, get at us on Twitter, TM2C Podcast. If you are one, let us know. Yeah, because we'd love to interview you. I want to know. Yes. I want to know all the lingo. Oh, all the fancy. I want to know what you got going on out there. Um, I saw a really good show last night called "Get on Your Knees." Have you heard about it? No, but I feel like this is a great segue into the episode that we're going to <laughs> That's have. Why I can't I wait. I enjoy your genius. I enjoy your genius. <laughs> Let's go. Tell me about it. What was the show? Oh my gosh! So truly, if you're in the New York City area, Tri City area, please go see this. It's only a six week run. It's uh, down at the Lucia Lordel in the West Village. And it is a show, a one-woman show. It's Jacqueline Novak, who's a comedian and has been a writer on a bunch of shows and stuff like that. It's directed by um, John Early, who is also a comedian and sort of alt comedy Mm -hmm. staple, lots of TV. Uh, Mike Birbiglia produced it because it is a very Mike Birbiglia style show where it's sort of like 
kind of stand up, but kind of narrate. It's one through line, narrative through line the whole time. Right, right. Um, and I don't want. I'm trying. Actually, did not pre think about what I wanted to say about it because I don't really want to give much of it away. Uh, but it's about blowjobs, uh, largely. No, I wouldn't. I wouldn't have been able to discern that from the title. And, and um, it is a really incredible piece on feminism and uh, empowerment, and um, and it's also hilarious. It just nearly pissed my pants laughing. Like it was so good. It's so good. I actually, on the feminist note, have just recently watched a movie called Troop Zero. Ooh, I haven't seen it on Hulu. On Hulu <laughs> is it Hulu? I don't know. Hulu or the or the Prime Video, the Amazon. Yes, yes. Uh, I'm not really sure which platform it's on. I mean, get at us, everybody. Like you know, tweet us and I'll put it in the it show is. notes. But Troop Zero is about this young girl who is growing up in a rural Georgia or something, a very southern mm-hmm. state, rural area in the 70s. And it's about how she's like kind of a like an offshoot. She's like the outlier, kind of a nerdy, you know, love space and stuff like that. And has just like has lost her mom. Jim Gaffigan plays mm. her dad. Allison Janney <gasps> plays the I like, love her. scout troop leader, yeah. the all the the like really fancy scout troop yeah. leader. And she's like, well, I'm going to get all my weird friends together and we're going to we're going to be a birdie troop. The movie itself is like, eh, I'm a little bit on the fence about it. But you get to the end and I was like. This is exactly right. I'm going to throw, just because I like symmetry, I'm going to throw a third thing for everybody to watch. So we've got Get On Your Knees down at the Lucille Lordle. We've got, what is that movie called again? Troop Zero. Troop, Troop Zero. Troop Zero on one of the streaming platforms, which we'll put in the show notes. I'll look it up. Um, and then a mm-hmm. third thing that I recently watched over the weekend in between working the whole weekend um, <laughs> as a like thing to roll up. It's ridiculous. This is a ridiculous what I'm about to say. At, have you watched Years and Years yet? No. Oh fuck! Oh fuck! Fuck me! Fuck me! It's that I wasn't a question, anybody. It was just a statement of don't. Yeah, it's don't, flat don't, statement. Don't, don't, don't send us your notes. No. <laughs> um. Uh. I think it's been out for like six months on HBO. It's Emma Thompson. Uh. And this British actor that's in everything that I just think is so good, and I never can remember his name. So you're welcome for that. And it is a dystopian look into 2020 on post. Everything that we're living through right Uh now, but it's set in the UK after Brexit, which I think they call Grexit or something like that. Um, And uh, here's uh, two things I will say to you about it uh, in terms of watching it. One, it's it's extremely distressing um, and really hard to watch a lot of times uh, because it is not a particularly nice look at the next 10 years of our world. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think it is one of the best made pieces of television i have seen in the last five years and i was telling someone this the other day this is like so fucking nerdy but i've always been like really excited and uh inspired by wagner's sort of he had this theory right that there was this perfect coming together of poetry and music and dance and like to like create something else out of it like a fourth thing yeah 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 and i feel like that's what this tv show does like in the end of the first episode as something big happens like the catalyst for the whole show the and away we go moment the way that the acting and the editing and the fucking music and the the um, action of the scene comes together you as a like viewer or i did anyway feel this insane like pressure and tension and like set there's like all this sex and it's just and it's really uncomfortable it's like a it creates a very uncomfortable intersection of feelings really successfully in a way that i'm not sure i've seen anything do recently like that so anyway i think you got if you can hand now i will say i think it's probably a little too distressing for some people um i had to like watch i could only watch one episode at a time because it was really anxiety uh inducing the word is but inducing thanks uh but it is a very good piece of television and i highly recommend it i am fucking so happy with that that you say that because i just got done watching fleabag british television is so fucking great i know Broadchurch, peaky blinders dude all of it all of it you can fucking name 50 things right now that you're like jesus why haven't we done that in the state sherlock uh black mirror you go why why can't we just why can't we do a fleabag for americans why can't we right. allow that kind of writing? Like that really like, listen, this is the woman's, you know, and you've seen Fleabag? Yeah, yeah. Oh, yes. oh my God, brilliant. So why can't we tell the woman's Don't give tale? it away. I'm not going to, but I'm saying, why can't we tell the woman's tale? Why can't we say the things that you're actually thinking? Why can't we see a woman fart on television? Why the fuck can't we? Why not? It's hysterical. 
It's fucking hysterical it because it happens. It's real life shit. <laughs> Get at us. You know what? If you, you know what? If you remember something that's not a movie, I'm talking about network television. Uh, you know, CBS, ABC, NBC, Fox, like any of those. If you've seen that, send it to us. Send us clips of women farting. <laughs> I love this. this is so good. This is a really good uh, way to transition into our guests this week, too, because yeah. if you want to talk about women who are defying traditional expectations, <laughs> our guest this week, Janice, is that person. She's unreal, man. I, I was I yeah. was so impressed, A, that she woke up for this fucking thing and had <laughs> full beat on. I was like, yeah, oh, she was did. that like the normal shit? She had like rhinestone studded on her eye makeup. Yeah, was it was like, amazing. You're amazing. The work that she's doing? And the work for yes. the community that she's doing is like next level shit. So Janice is, as she describes to us, a stripper, writer, and sex affirming therapist. So I'm just, let's give some silence. Think about that for a second. Go ahead. Digest that. She's a sex worker, a writer, and a sex affirming therapist. And I don't know that we've ever had an episode uh, like this one where I feel like I came in with zero knowledge about the thing we are talking about. You know, like you, we always talk about we're skill acquirers. I read like a fucking fiend. I have a kind of, you know, f- feel for a lot of things. Mm-hmm. But this one, this conversation was like from ground zero for me. I knew nothing about it, which was incredibly uh provoking and inspiring and and i haven't stopped talking about it to be honest yeah i don't know yeah i had the same i had the same kind of vibe when i walked away from it and i was like you know like when she talks about the word prostitute and how that is offensive and derogatory to someone in the sex working industry and i was like what wait what (laughs) you know what i'm saying because you're fed this thing again back to the media controlled bullshit like you're fed this thing and like this is what's bad this is what's good blah 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 blah. and that's where you get for information i go well this is somebody on the inside who has like intimate knowledge firsthand knowledge john bolton style knowledge (laughs) i'm happy being a sex worker and i'm paying the bills doing this thing getting out of three degrees with only ten thousand dollars in debt yes oh my god janice yeah right i'll be really interested to hear what you guys listening like take away from this but for Mm -hmm. me i think that it by and large with this topic there i think what i really realized from our conversation is that there is a lot of thoughtlessness around uh our idea of sex workers and what janice does a really good job of uh bringing in conversation through her writing which by the way she sent us a bunch of cool shit to read so i'll put it in the show notes for you and just a genius essayist as well through her writing yeah and her essays is uh the thoughtfulness behind like asking you to to reevaluate why you think what you think about sex workers because it turns out a lot of it doesn't really actually make sense um so that's really, for me, that was like a big takeaway for me. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Y'all, go to Twitter, follow us on TMTC Podcast if you haven't already. Instagram, we're there as well. Leave us a video, ask for an upcoming um, guest. We have a couple coming out this upcoming weekend. Um, and you can always uh, suggest folks for us to interview on the podcast. We're looking for people who've built their own thing from the ground up and are uh, using the internet um, to engage communities around what they do. So, you know, tell us who you follow that's cool. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Take Me to Coffee with Janice. <laughs> First and foremost, what coffee are you drinking today? This is a question we always ask. <laughs> um, it's Trader Joe's Pumpkin Spice, and it's in a Lambda writing retreat mug, which is my favorite mug. I did the writing retreat like in 2016, I think. Fuck yes. What's Lambda? It's um, like a queer for emerging LGBTQ voices, and I did um, a young adult fiction workshop. Cool. Yeah, it was really fun. Is that the kind of thing you have to like apply for? Yeah, yeah. And it was in college in uh, San Diego? Or LA, something like that. It was really fun. I was on campus for a week, you know, after like graduating five years prior. So like eating in the mess hall was awesome. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I miss Waffle Bar. Waffle Bar. I'm really interested in asking you, hey, what's up? Good morning, by the way. I'm Andrew. Um, So listen, I want to ask you, do you always look like this? You you look amazing, by the way. These these eyes, like you've got a full, it's just fucking 10 a.m. And you've got like a full beat going on, like Sophia Loren swoop with like some sparkles and shit. It's like fucking really rad. Like, do you you go to sleep like that? Do you wake up like this? Is this just a thing for you? It's magic. I really like to think of it like Clark Kent and Superman. So you're seeing my Superman look right now. But most (laughs) of the time I have these like giant black rimmed glasses and I don't wear that much makeup because I 
as a therapist, I see a lot of sex workers. So I'm like always a little bit worried that there's going to be an overlap or they're going to be like, oh, I saw you on stage on Saturday night. And I'll just be like, no, you didn't. I'm Clark Kent. You definitely did not see me. Do you find that you do a lot of crossover? Like since you deal with the, the sex workers, do you deal like, is there a lot of like, oh, hey, we worked on stage last night. Now you're going to talk to me about my therapy issues, you know, things. I have never. So it would actually be like an ethical a uh, conflict of interest for me to be a therapist for anyone I work with. Um, and none of, oh, yeah, so okay. none of the women I dance with have ever come to me for therapy or have even come to my clinic for therapy. But I do have clients who are involved yeah. in sort of the larger New York sex work community. And there are a lot of events that like I see on Instagram. And oh, I'm just sure. like, oh, it would be really great to go to that. But like, I know that some of my clients are going to be there. That sucks. <laughs> yeah. But it's, it's kind of okay because I don't really like to leave my house if I don't have to. So it's not that bad. <laughs> fair, fair. I feel like over the like time that we've been doing this podcast, I used to like get dressed. Yeah. I also feel I have like an alter ego. I have a, uh, in some ways, like I have mm-hmm. a professional name and I use it to separate and I would like get makeup on and like, and then finally yeah. we just have been recording these podcasts and I've given up. Yep. I'm just like, yep. some days I'm in my fucking pajamas yep. on camera with nothing on. <laughs> most days, most recordings I'm in my pajamas. That's true. I just vary the top yeah. that I'm wearing. So I don't feel like a Clark Kent yeah. kind of a thing. Yeah. There's no, I mean, it's weird. I mean, it's weird because like, it's, um, it's partially your mindset changes too. Like I find that my mindset definitely changes once I like do the whole thing. And yeah, I agree. I find it helpful personally. Like I, I really like being actually, you know what I like best about it. And then I will ask that I, my question for you is what you like best about it. I enjoy being able mm-hmm. to save my real name and my, you know, real me for the people that I like really love that I know really well. And like, I love that yeah. lots of people don't know yeah. that version of me. You know what I mean? Definitely. It's like getting something for myself. Yeah. And I also feel like you learn a lot about yourself based on different your different personas. Like I can break down because I write under Janice Luna when I write about sex work, but I write under my real name when I write about relationship stuff, sex education, therapy that doesn't include like talking cool. about sex work. Um, but then there's also like, those are my like writing personas, which is different from my club persona, which is different from like my real name and like who I am with my family and my close yeah. friends. <laughs> That's a lot to keep track of. <laughs> I, I'm so, f- I'm fascinated by this, like this conversation of anonymity inside of mm-hmm. our little boxes. <laughs> little boxes on the window. On the hillside. Oh, whatever. You. <laughs> You put yourself into these like you you put yourself into these little mm-hmm. boxes and then you create some kind of a a world around them. Is there like a psychological term for that? Is it like I mean compartmentalizing clearly, but like also like ego compartmentalizing a little well, bit? The the sort of like pathologized version of this is dissociative identity disorder, obviously. But I think like that oh, good. makes it <laughs> That's what I was getting at. That's exactly what I was getting at. I was like, oh, yeah. So there's something kind of fucked up about it. It's a it's a coping yeah. mechanism, but there's also something really kind of fucked up about it, too, that you're if like. If you take the coping mechanism too far, like that's kind of like any kind of quote unquote disorder always has like the idea of dissociation also. Like you've all done it like on the subway when like it smells really bad and you're just like, I'm going to go to my happy place and pretend oh, this yeah. is not happening right now. Yesterday. Um, but it's like when when those coping mechanisms are pushed too far, the amount of stress in the environment right. is overwhelming. That's when they can become sort of like quote unquote disordered but the, yeah. the origin of them the reason they happen is self-protective right. what happens when yeah. it's backwards like in our industry it's pretty common to have like a professional name well it also makes me think of like you know there's that Marilyn Monroe quote where she's like on the subway and there's a photographer with her and she's just like do you want to see me become her and that sort of shift oh, I haven't seen that where she kind of like yeah. like changes her body and like changes her face and her presence and then she is she goes from being just like some anonymous person on the subway to being Marilyn Monroe yeah it's like uh, Beyonce wrote about that as well right yeah. like about when she had created Sasha Fierce or whatever yeah anyway, fascinating Oh, it's so good. Um, we should contextualize all this, Janice, <laughs> with like a little bit about what you do mm-hmm. and who you are. Mm-hmm. And we have an excellent first question from a fan and or a listener. Awesome. So we'll let them ask you about it. Yay. Yeah. Hi, Janice. My name is Lita and I live in New York City. Um, I'm the events intern for Body Politic and we're a queer feminist wellness collective um, aiming to merge the personal with the political. Um I had a question about uh, sex therapy and how you became interested in sex therapy and how 
uh, sort of big that field is because I personally go to talk therapy myself and I'm familiar with relationship coaches and sex coaches, um, but I've never heard of somebody being um, a sex therapist and have a degree in psychology and yeah, I was just curious your thoughts about it and sort of what um, a day in the life of a sex therapist looks like. Okay, thank you. Bye. Have a great day. It's a really good one because there's not actually a clear path to becoming a sex therapist. So I actually came to sex therapy by way of sex education, and I'm not certified as a sex therapist. I'm I'm a LMSW, and I'm a certified holistic sex educator. And the way that that kind of functions when I do therapy is that I do what I consider sex therapy. But, you know, the, the program that I took to become a sex educator had two tracks. There was sex um, education and sex therapy. And to do the sex therapy, you had to have a counseling degree already. Um, there, there, there's one program that's pretty well known uh, at Widener University. And I think they have like a, I don't know if they have a sex therapy track. I think they might because the person I co-host my podcast with um, was going to Widener for a while and she works as a sex therapist. But they have like a joint Master's of Education and, and Human an MSW. So it's master's education in human sexuality and master's of social work. Um, but I kind of just did my, my sex education program, which was two years. It was some like in-person classes that were really, really great. It was in Northampton, Massachusetts. And then I applied all of the work that I'd done as a sex educator, as a health educator. I used to work at Rape Crisis Health um, Adolescent Health Center. And I kind of used all of that experience that I had there. And I take it with me into my work as a therapist. Um, but I try to make the distinction that like I'm a therapist I don't necessarily market myself as a sex therapist so I kind of market myself as like a combined therapist and sex educator but the the way that I approach that is you know just being really being really knowledgeable like really staying up on like sexuality and and specifically a sort of like social constructionist understanding of sexuality um, understanding like all social forces and how they impact our embodiment of sexuality and then just being really open and non-judgmental and yeah I think I, I have had a lot of experiences and I encounter a lot of like really thing like things that are somewhat out of the ordinary as a stripper so bringing that sort of more complex understanding and lived experience I think helps me. Does someone come to you specifically, like would I, you know, would someone be like, I'm looking for whatever a sex therapist is, or is that something that people majority find along the way of going to therapy? Or I think so. I think, um, you know, I definitely talk about my focus being on like sexuality and body awareness and sort of like a trauma informed approach and a holistic approach. So I think those words, and I also talk about coming from a really anti-capitalist perspective too, because I think it's, it's absolutely like necessary to include our financial and economic realities when mm -hmm. we talk about, you know, our relationships and our sexual experiences. Um, and I think people really read that as like, you know, there's going to be, a, mm -hmm. there's going to be like a comfort level there. And there's also going to be like, if they can talk about sort of anything, and I'm not going to think that it's not related to the idea of sexuality and relationships. Interesting. I'm fascinated. So yeah, I know. It's like, I'm, I'm taking the time <laughs> literally sitting yeah. here going, I'm fascinated by sex work, right? I feel like it is, yes, there on one side, it is uh, like the trafficking and the things where, you know, not empowering, but what for what you're doing, I feel like there's like some form of power there. There's like a, you taking the reins, I'm doing what I want, I'm doing how I want to do it, and not to like get too involved with your clients or anything like that, but when do you find that when you're in session, do you find that it, it women find power from this this standpoint or this viewpoint? It definitely is a case by case thing. I think what I've heard people say is most empowering is like not working for minimum wage. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, you know, I really think that the the ability to create your own schedule, to charge your own rates, you know, I think people find a lot of empowerment in how how adaptive and how creative sex work requires you to be because you know I saw this meme on Instagram recently that was like or a tweet that was like people see see sex work as like just showing your ass and tits you know online or whatever or but sex workers are like well no like we have to learn how to market ourselves we have to learn how to advertise we have to learn how to do security we have to learn how to vet people we have to learn how to communicate really well we have to learn how to communicate really well with someone who is going to think that they know more than you <laughs> um because a lot of especially like cis straight male clients you know are wildly unconcerned about their own sexual health a lot of the time. Right. 
you know, and they'll push for things like not wearing condoms or like, you know, not, you know, being tested recently. And then we have to like really like know how to talk about boundaries and how to talk mm-hmm. about health and how to talk about why it's not just important for us, but it's important for them. So I think the the sort of empowering part comes from knowing that you're capable of doing all of these things. And also, I feel like it's not directly related to the sex or like sexualized aspect of the job itself, but more about like, I think people really find empowerment in community Mm -hmm. uh, and solidarity. This is blowing my mind. Yeah, this is blowing my mind. Like this whole week, I've been thinking about what can we take in our lives if we're not sex workers, right? Or we don't like we are not in that profession. I feel I having read some of your articles that you've written and thinking about what you're talking about. And obviously, as a woman, always thinking about how we can empower ourselves more. That's all I've been thinking about this week is like, what can we learn on this coffee date for everybody that's listening? Mm -hmm. Of course, like you were saying in your onboard, it's fascinating to learn about the sex industry, particularly for people who don't have any frame of reference. But more importantly, like on a mentorship podcast, we didn't we weren't like, come on, when someone, you know, our friend recommended you, we were like, ooh, this will just be a fun hour to pick her brain about sex therapy. <laughs> like, your articles about empowerment and women and the mm-hmm. women in the shadows that aren't celebrated during, yeah. you know, Women's History Month and yeah. the capitalism aspect, whatever. Anyway, I just feel like there's a lot to take away in our own lives. And I'm wondering, is, is there anything in particular that comes up a lot when you're chatting with folks who are not in the sex industry, who are not coming to you for sex mm-hmm. therapy, like things that people people grasp onto where they're like, oh shit, yes, I can take that with me. Yeah. Well, the thing is my therapy clients, I don't disclose, you know, that I'm a stripper. I don't disclose that I'm in the sex industry. Um, I don't even really disclose that with my clients who are out to me as sex workers because I feel like Mm. I feel like I want to just sort of be present for the work as it's happening. If they directly ask me, I wouldn't lie. But I don't make a point to like, mm-hmm. I even actually just took something off of my website because my website is named Janice Therapy, but I'm practicing under my legal name. Um, and I was like, you know what, mm-hmm. if people ask questions, then I will answer them. But I don't need to like, I named myself after Janice Joplin because she has this mm-hmm. quote that's like, I saw that. that she has this quote that's like, you know, on stage, I make love to 25,000 people, but I go home alone. And I was like, that's what being a stripper is like. I think people who don't have experience in the sex industry, particularly like people who are socialized feminine, I just hear a lot of, so for my sex ed certification, my sort of like culminating project was on the idea of sexual subjectivity, which is everyone's like individual Mm -hmm. idea of themselves as a subject, as a protagonist, as someone who has their own like idiosyncratic desires um, and has a right to sort of like pleasure and desire and intimacy and, you know, getting what they really want out of their sex life that works for them. And, and you know, mm. I don't have too many non like femme or non women or non like gender nonconforming clients. Most of my clients, I don't have many like cis male clients, honestly. Um, so I don't, I can't really speak mm-hmm. to the way sexual subjectivity operates for them. But anyone who is like in any kind of gender minority, I always, I really tend to find that when we're talking about sex, we're talking about not either not knowing that you have a right to your own subjectivity or just not being able to access it, feeling a lot of guilt around it, feeling like a lot of barriers mm-hmm. to identifying for yourself what you want and then communicating that with a partner in a way that I think I think a lot of like gender minorities people are interacting with the ideas of who we are or who we should be. Um, rather than really getting to mm-hmm. know, you know, who we are for ourselves and what we want. Is that a weird question? Maybe not. But like, do you find that to be particularly American, an American problem? I don't really know. I don't, I haven't worked with too many people who are from other countries. So I don't really know. I mean, I I would say that the sort of like climate of like sex Hmm. education and sexuality is particularly awful here. (laughs) Oh my God. You have to listen if you have time truly because I think you'll enjoy it. We had an episode a couple episodes ago with this actress named Maddie Jo who has a blog called Sex God and Rich People Um, and she grew up in sexual purity culture in Southern Missouri. Oh my God. It's wild. Andrew and I were both like what is happening? Like the evangelical culture. Yeah. So I just got a copy of this um, anthology that I submitted an essay to. It's called The Edge of Sex. And I wrote about the concept of being a tease. And basically the prompt for each, um, each writer was, you know, what kind of sex education did you get? 
And I talked about how my dad's a science teacher. You know, he gave me and my little brother this very technical, you know, sperm meets egg and pregnancy and like, you know, STDs are a bad thing. And it was super technical. (laughs) I don't even remember it happening because I was just like, I don't want to talk about this. But I found out like two, a year ago, two years ago that my brother had like a of a magazine picture of an Italian model in his sock drawer. And my mom like freaked out and was like objectification of women, blah, blah, blah. So he got this very sort of like shaming, like your, this is like the thing that I'm interested in learning about more is he got this sort of like your sexuality, your sexual desire is maybe dangerous, you know, is maybe harmful. Meanwhile, my high school bedroom was littered. Like the walls were covered with photos of Orlando Bloom, sometimes not wearing a shirt. So, like, it was out in the open, like, openly objectifying this man. Yeah. Despite having a very active fantasy life and a very, and I, like, would write things and, like, write things with friends. And this was, like, a really big part of my development of my own sexual subjectivity that was, that stopped once I started actually, like, dating and, like, making out with people and having sex. Like, I was not able to make the connection between, like, my fantasies of sexual subjectivity and the actual practice with people. Um, because of that, like, element of embodiment, right? Like, I was learning very, like, in fantasy and in, like, this very, like, mind-based way when I was writing. But when I was interacting with people relationally and in an embodied way, I was still interacting with all of these, like, you know, a feminine person is the one who, like, receives stuff and just lays there and, like, you fake your orgasms. And And, and is that – do you find that that's, like, a societal thing? I mean, clearly it is uh, in in whatever society that we're – doing right now at this point in history um but on a woman's uh, on a woman's approach to sexuality and on being unable to you know cross genre with your with your fantasy life and then your actual uh, physical life you you ask yourself why you're like why why am i doing this why do i unconsciously it's not just like what you're seeing in movies and what you're hearing in songs and reading in books and like what sort of like mainstream narratives you're internalizing i think it's also the fact that we are interacting with people who are also internalizing those narratives. And then we're interacting with people along, you know, different genders. So like for me, when I was a teenager, I was interacting with a lot of like cis straight boys. And I think I was interacting with a lot of their thoughts about sexuality and their internalizations about Mm -hmm. sexuality based on a lot of the porn that they were watching, because a lot of the sex that I was having was like porn and I was like, this sucks. Oh, <laughs> this yeah, is not okay. fun. <laughs> so again, I find that I find it interesting that you are still succumbing to a man's <sighs> thoughts of what sexuality is based on societal norms that you think a woman should be like subservient mm-hmm. or acquiesce to, you know, I, I, which I find fucking ridiculous. Yeah. But also you still see it all the time and it's pervasive in our society. You know, like one of the things that I learned about in my master's program was the idea of attachment theory and how we learn how to love and experience intimacy in our early childhood relationships because we are taught by our parents, you know, um, like you can have a parent, if you have a parent or parents who are like very sort of stable, responsible, mature, consistent, I think is the biggest thing. Then you learn that, if you need something, if you need validation, if you need love, you know, you can go to that person and they will be there for you and you form a secure attachment. If on the other hand, and and this mm. is sort of where like capitalism comes into it for me and, and sort of the idea of like intergenerational trauma is like if you have a household, even the most well-meaning household, like this is not even speaking to like egregious cases of abuse, even the most well-meaning household, if right. they're stressed about money. If there's an illness in the family, if, you know, there are a lot of siblings and like one of them, one of them is sick, like here's something that I'm super interested in, which is like, how, how are like siblings who grew up with a a sick sibling, how does their attachment style, is, is it influenced by that? You know, there are any number of things that can, can make it difficult to relate. And then when you are trying to seek attachment as a young adult, or even well into adulthood, you know, these patterns get kicked up 
because that's how we learned. That was our blueprint. So I was thinking about that. And I was also thinking about how, you know, my parents did the best that they could. And and I think like, I've, I've been in therapy for four years. And even like a year ago, I was like, my childhood was fine, like, except for my mom having cancer at one point. And my therapist was like, did you just hear? <laughs> you know, so now there's like a lot yes. of stuff that I'm unpacking, especially regarding like gender roles and intergenerational trauma. Like my mom is also an immigrant, you know, so there was a lot of like, struggling with assimilation and, you know, what does it mean to lose Mm. parts of yourself in order to be accepted in this society? But in terms of like love and security, I always felt that I had a lot of that in my childhood. Um, And yet when I was dating, I was getting into all of these really Mm -hmm. unhealthy patterns for basically the entire decade of my 20s and parts of my teenage years. And I think like our attachment also shifts based on especially our adolescent, like early experiences of dating, because one of the things that I wrote about in this essay was like being ghosted by my first boyfriend before ghosting was a term and knowing that it was because I wasn't ready to have sex when he wanted to have sex and really internalizing the message that like, if I had said yes to that, I would have received love and care. And maybe, you know, that relationship would have continued. Probably not. Um, but really right. internalizing the idea that my worth was connected to saying yes or no. And being a tease or saying like being like in the middle of that and not being ready and being a tease meant right. that I was worthless. Right. I, I have this. So what I think is so important for everybody that's listening about like that story and listening right now is that. You 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 just brought that up. I literally was having mm-hmm. a conversation about this last night with a girlfriend of mine in a different like, you know, context, obviously, but like how we see all just the exact same thing. And I hope that for anyone, mm-hmm. whether you're going to therapy or not, whether you're mm-hmm. a sex worker or not, like particularly any woman or marginalized person probably in any respect, will have these conversations and understand that saying like what you just said out loud is not a reflection, a judgmental yeah. reflection on yourself. In fact, mm-hmm. we just need to like start looking harder to see those moments in our lives. I think, you know what I mean? Talk about them with our, our loved ones and the people we trust and, and maybe try to take some little steps to fix, not fix. That's not the right word, but like adjust, uh, be, be, be kinder to ourselves moving forward. Yeah. Yeah. And I think like, you know, to bring it back to like how sex work and stripping has helped me learn, like really sort of like heal from this idea of like my only use is of, of, being available for like sex Mm -hmm. is that, you know, a lot of people from outside the sex industry think that like, we must have been like violated in some way. And that's why we do this because that's how we seek validation. And for me, it was really the opposite. Like for me, the really empowering part, and I definitely don't speak for all sex workers because I I have a lot of privilege within the sex industry. But for me, the Mm -hmm. empowering part was the saying no. And like knowing where my limits were and knowing, and it took Mm. a while, you know, like when I first started, like I did a bunch of stuff that I wasn't really into or that I thought I had to do. And then like really learning where my boundaries were, um, was a process. And and I think also getting to the point of not judging that process has also been really healing. Mm -hmm. But you know, the, the part where I say no, the part where I, I am really sexual and I am like in this erotic space. And I am like in various states of undress and, you know, I have this persona and there it's like overt sexuality, not necessarily my, Mm -hmm. um, my sort of authentic sexuality, but it is overt sexuality. And the entire point is that I say no and they go and they can have whatever feelings they need to have about me saying no, but I get to say no and, and be a tease and make money (laughs) <laughs> doing that you know there's a reward for saying right. no yeah <laughs> that's amazing i never thought about it that way <laughs> there are a couple of narratives about sex work that you know either that it's degrading or that it's always empowering we have to be really careful about how we talk about you know there's no like blanket empowering experience of sex work and there's no blanket degrading experience of sex work and i think that's where a lot of the the trouble is for people who aren't familiar with the industry is that we're very binary creatures we really like things to be one way or the other um and i think that can be really frustrating when you're a sex worker because then you feel like you have to live up to one one narrative or the other there's not really a lot of room for complexity which is like so fucking true for everybody in one way or another that that way that we're wired as human beings finds us 
So uh, on to this next question. Speaking of like oppressiveness and like living in these societal fucking ridiculous things that we do of life that I don't have words for right now. I'm going to let somebody else talk. This is our second question. I think you're going to be, this is going to be a good one. Some radical feminists say that sex work is always going to be oppressive towards women. Is this true? I um, try to find nice ways to say this, but I... No, don't. <laughs> oh, this is don't. a fucking... This is a truthful fucking podcast. Let's go. I hate radical feminists. <laughs> the way that I see it spoken, <laughs> spoken about a lot in sort of like internet shorthand, which I think is really, you know, really great and really accessible and really drives the point home in a succinct way, is that like rad femmes... Are, are grouped into like discussions of like TERFs, which is trans, um, transgender exclusionary radical feminists and SWERFs, which is sex worker exclusionary radical feminists. And both of those sort of ideologies are like gatekeeping about what the idea of womanhood is, positions the blame for violence against women very often on sex workers, you know, by saying that we agree to our oppression, we are then responsible for the violence that men do. Um, and and I think like, you know, even even in this question saying, you know, sex work is always oppressive for women really invalidates the agency and the, you know, unique lived experience of sex workers to sort of create and define their own narratives. So, you know, I think I think the um, the willingness to do that is sort of inherently anti-feminist in and of itself. Concise. OK. Yeah, very concise. <laughs> <laughs> Do you run into the like religiosity? Do you run into people in your work? Do you run into people who are fighting or struggling with something that we read in the Bible, but we all know that Mary Magdalene potentially was a a sex worker? We've made this thing up in our society where this is vilified. Do you find a lot of clients struggling with that? I haven't had any clients who've struggled with like internalized sex work stigma on the basis of religion. I think it shows up in other ways. And I think it shows up in really subtle ways with when it comes to religion, I definitely find that some of my queer clients, the idea of religion and masculinity and being gay really is, is something they struggle with. And the, the, the shame and, and, and like sex negativity when it comes to like having sex and enjoying sex um, and especially the idea of like, you know, like needing to be careful with your health, because not only would an STD be like a health issue that you have to deal with, but it could also be like right. divine punishment. Oh, fuck. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> right. Like that, that really raises the stakes. You know what I mean? This is fucking insane. Let's go to our third question. Let someone else do the talking for a second and then we'll, uh, we'll um, <laughs> go back to everything we have to ask. How can I change my language to be more sex worker affirming? Uh, the biggest thing that I think of with language is the the words like whore or prostitute are are slurs. They're considered slurs by the sex work community. So I think you know when you um, when you said Mary Magdalene was a sex worker, I was like yes, because most people automatically use the word prostitute. Also the word hooker. Like you, if you're not doing full service sex work, like whore, prostitute, hooker, they're not yours to identify. They're not yours to joke about. Can I ask a potentially stupid question? No stupid questions on this podcast. <laughs> yeah, no stupid questions. I know because I don't know, and so if I don't know, I'm, there's because I'm here exactly. There's got to be if Andrew and I don't know. I don't know if you know this, but would you what what's um, the word prostitute is is the uh, is is the offensiveness of that term just like because of the contextualization of it like through history or is there and or are there specific reasons that that is a I just uh, only because this is the first time I've ever heard because I'm not super well read up on this right that's like a term you shouldn't use and so I find myself very I'm not, curious why. I'm not sure exactly I think if I had to guess I would say that it's because of the way. I think it's partially because of like media representation. I think, you know, seeing like mm. people, I, I, for some reason, like thinking of like law and order and like in the credits of law and order where it's just like hooker, number one, <laughs> hooker, number two, you know, like stuff like that. But oh, I also think, sucks. you know, sex work is still criminalized. So I think there is, there is the implication of 
like criminality behind the word prostitute and like the dehumanization of that. And again, it comes from this, and I, I gotta hate to harp on fucking religion, but like it comes from this bullshit. You know, this shit used to be back in the 1800s, man. Like even before that, prostitutes were like deified almost. You're like, there were some great fucking throughout history, Lady Godiva, like all these brilliant um, sex workers throughout history. I'm sorry to word that use the word prostitute, um, but sex workers throughout history who have been like almost like. A, deified to be put up in their like they're amazing women you know like the Heidi Fleiss like I looked at Heidi Fleiss as a fucking brilliant businesswoman I was like she's one of the greatest CEOs of a company of all time and then we have to bring her down because a few of her clients are like assholes I mean I think that really does go back to religion because like I was raised Catholic I was always fascinated by Mary Magdalene and I was always particularly fascinated by the narrative that she was a sex worker even when I was a kid like I was just like that's the coolest thing I've ever heard yeah and I think it's because like my my dad and my uncle and I actually got into a conversation (laughs) about this at Christmas um and the perfect time yeah yeah and he (laughs) my uncle and my dad were arguing and my dad my dad really like takes issue with mary magdalene as a sex worker he was like you know she was so much more than that like she was like jesus's right hand person and i literally sat there and i was like she was a woman in antiquity and antiquity who was independently wealthy was politically connected was you know Mm -hmm. prominent enough to become like intimately involved with this like political rebel like anarchist i was like there's no way she wasn't a sex worker women didn't have property then they didn't have money you know and they definitely didn't have political connections without being married and if they were married they didn't have the right to do anything you know they were they were essentially property that was like hidden Mm -hmm. in like wherever the hell in their house but she was an independent woman with agency with connections with wealth she was definitely a sex worker. In entrepreneurship, which is such a hot topic right now, right? You want to create a company, not with your great idea, but with something there is a need for. And when you are in a society in which every door is closed to you in terms of finding a product that is in need, mm-hmm. you go looking for where there's a product in need that you have access to. And if that is yeah. the only fucking door open, I mean, yeah. that's just entrepreneurship. It's like literally just entrepreneurship. At its finest. <laughs> um, Janice, will you put it together? Like, would you be willing to put together like maybe five of your articles that like someone who wants to start to build a frame of reference on this topic would like learn a lot from that we could put it uh, out in our blog on the week that this comes out. Yeah. Cool. That would be amazing. We'll put that up in the blog guys. If you're listening to this, it'll be out tomorrow um, in the blog, which is at TM2C podcast. Where can people find you if they want, you've got a podcast, you've got social, like where, where's everybody going after this to click that follow button? All of my writing is at my website, which is JaniceTherapy.com. And then I'm also at Janice, uh, J-A-N-I-S, like Janice Joplin, underscore therapy on Instagram. Not really on Twitter. Like that's my Twitter handle too, but I don't, I don't know how to do Twitter. It's very overwhelming. (laughs) On my, my Instagram, I have a link to Sexistential You, which is the podcast that I host with my friend, Rachel. Sexistential. There it is. Existential, but with an S in front of it, dot you. It's a sexistential crisis. That we're in right now. <laughs> That's a great name. Thanks. Janice, thank you so much for coming on today. It's Thank, thank you so you. much thank for, for joining me. us. I still have so many questions for you. Well, if you want to get coffee another time, we can also talk about why theater nerds should be in the world because I also was a theater nerd. Everybody! Yes! <laughs> um, let's just say one thing. Yeah. I've never thought so much about sex work other than like you know porn and things like that and now i feel terrible for watching free porn (laughs) if you could take one thing away from this episode (laughs) no 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 i mean i I feel guilty about a lot of the things that i do in my sub and my objectification of uh the opposite and far superior sex that's not gonna save you just so we're clear i know but listen (laughs) to this though i mean i can apologize all i want it doesn't you know it doesn't you know make up for my past transgressions but it really does shine a light and that's why I love doing this podcast is because it shines a light on things that I trivialize or I minimal I minimize in my life and don't think about as much the 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 sex industry like oh no I'm just watching some free porn no big deal right you're like no it's not those people are putting that out there as like it's like a piracy issue is is, to think about it in my own terms Mm -hmm. it's like these people are creating content not unlike the Oscars or whatever like it's a for your Mm -hmm. consideration kind of thing that is being promoted illegally it really like kind of opens your eyes to like all of these things you're like oh you know my big takeaway from this episode interestingly enough 
uh, was um, just a reminder of how important it is to not take narratives at their word. I think that we are wired as human beings to just accept what we're told um, about anything, not just sex work, right? Like just anything. And the thing that was so wonderful and reaffirming in this episode was like, if you take five seconds to actually examine do your own homework the 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 foundation like the pieces and parts of sex work like none of this narrative that it's shaming uh oppressive it doesn't it doesn't hold up it doesn't make sense and i think for me thinking about it in the context of my own life there's a lot of areas in which i would like to remind myself to do that kind of digging and remember that just because someone else told me you know this or that is not right or is silly or is not the correct way to do something it's not often it's not always does it that doesn't mean it's always right right and i'm thinking just for everybody who's out there and who knows us as human beings now that you've listened to every single episode of this podcast because We're i know so you're listening sorry. to We're every so sorry. fucking single episode <laughs> um and if you want to you know you want to ascribe to our our mindsets it's that we are critically thinking our way through life you know we're not just skill acquirers we're critically thinking and trying to break down rationally the truth that we're the truth that we're being told or the the ideas that are being posed i want to find out who created them why they're that way what is the stigma and i think this podcast does a really good um uh, example of shining the light on the other side of what sex work is it's it's nice to hear all of the angles that are being um negated in our society today it's nice to hear like other sides of the story where you're like well fuck man this person she is brilliant in the way that she's she's like i found a way to put myself through school i found a way to do this i found a way to do that and yes it might be under this like societally negative uh or vilified form of work but like fuck you like fuck you you know what i'm saying like fuck fuck you guys you know like fuck literally and and metaphorically fuck you right uh, can we also talk about the fact that we are, need to be running a scorecard? Yet another person on this podcast who is a theater person. It's not an accident, Hell folks. Yeah. Not an accident. Who run the world? Nerds. Who nerds. run the world? Theater nerds. <laughs> Good song. <So> nerds. <laughs> yeah. yeah well, oh you know. Bay just called me on the phone and she said I could have that. How? Oh, did Anyways. she? She was like, it's for you today. Well, she did. She did. Don't forget to follow Janice on Instagram but and Twitter, but probably not Twitter. So Instagram. She's at Janice <laughs> underscore therapy. And she's got that awesome podcast that you should definitely listen to and give a follow. Sexistential.com. U, the letter U, which is probably the best name for a podcast I've ever heard. And her website is www.janistherapy.com. And we'll get you some links to some of her articles so that you can go on this journey with Andrew and I uh, alongside us, educating ourselves about the sex worker industry, sex affirming therapy, and all of the awesome stuff we talked about today. And head over to Twitter and follow us at TM2C Podcast. Ask your questions for our upcoming guests. You can also let us know about someone smart and cool you follow online that you think we should talk to. Yeah, and thanks, by the way, to all of you guys who've been doing those Suggestion Sundays. We have got a fucking stellar lineup of guests coming up in the next couple of months. I would say 75% of whom were recommended by you. So thanks, dudes and dudettes and people who do not subscribe to the binary. <laughs> That's it for this episode of Take Me to Coffee. Now it is your turn. Uno! Check out new episodes every Tuesday on your favorite podcasting plataforma. Ooh, too, for special bonus content, including being able to see Janice's sparkly eyeshadow, which was truly so cool. God, glorious. <laughs> so our- glorious to wake up to that. Yep. Join us over at our coffee club, Patreon, www.patreon.com slash TM2C podcast. Your contributions help us continue to make this podcast for you, with you, and completely ad-free. No one tells us what to do you guys are gonna have to start saying that with us in this outro everybody together now no, no one, one tells, tells us, us what, what to do, do. girl pleasure <laughs> three download these episodes and leave us a review so we can continue to grow this sweet little podcast and make sure that all of y'all have access to all these amazing people i'm jess like fungus on a cow's dung Grow it. I quit. <laughs> I'm Andrew. We'll see you next week. One comes around one today. They don't see things the same. Two walk like two out the door. Then you have magic.